The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Hey, top of the morning to ya. Oh, man, we've got like pint after pint after pint of green beer here in the studio today. Not. Relax, everybody. <laughs> Take it easy. We don't have green beer in the studio. I <laughs> drink a beer and... When's the last time I drink a beer? I, I have to think in terms of decades. And then green beer? Oh, beer's just horrible in and of itself. Anyway, setting that aside, I hope you're well. Thanks for being here. This is Steve Noble. It is Friday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. I'll, I'll end with that. That's a fabulous story, actually, in the fourth segment of the show, the story of St. Patrick, St. Patty. Uh, really, an, really an amazing story that should be an encouragement and a challenge to all of us. So we'll get there. By the end of the show, I want to start with a little, oh, our old friend COVID, who we've uh, recently passed the three-year anniversary. They got a three-year anniversary, the first case in America, which was like January 20th, three years ago. And then when everything started to get interesting, it's been about three years. Can you believe that? Three years. What? Hey, whatever happened to 50? Let's just, let's just get in the Wayback Machine here for a second. Remember the... The encouragement, the hopefulness of Mike Pence and 15 days to flatten the curve. Wow, that would be wonderful. And then that didn't work. So then we went to, hey, 30 days to slow the spread. Everything's going to be fine. Put up your little finger guns and just wink at the camera. 30 days to slow the spread. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Here we are three years later. So we'll do a little COVID today. Uh, Some uh, recent polling three years into the COVID pandemic. Into the COVID pandemic is over. Uh, And then some stuff that the CDC did. And then, of course, the nasty little reality of this man-made pandemic. And Wuhan and China and the U.S. government and gain-of-function research. So some of that mess, and the CDC, when I mentioned them, bought phone data, uh, 55 million cell phone users, so there's a pretty good chance. Josh, look up real quick. How many cell phone users are there in the land of the free and the brave? What's that? It's got to fix the live stream. Well, when you're done doing that, look up how many cell phone users we have in America, please. Uh because that's, I'm, I'm going to look at this as a percentage. They got 55 million of you. They got your cell phone data. But you can trust them. It's the government. It's the CDC. So let's not freak out. Then we'll talk a little bit about some uh, transgender woke lunacy, which just enrages me. I, I try to be compassionate about the leaders in the transgender movement, but uh, that's getting harder. And then a companion to that story out of the Federalist saying woke is bad for the left's brand and libs can't stand it. Woke effectively describes the left's insanity, and that's why they hate when you say it. So woke, 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 
woke, woke. We'll talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> and just a friendly reminder, the God of the universe rules the everything. The God of the Bible, the God of the universe rules everything with his feet up, like on an Ottoman feet up. Just remember that. No matter what we talk about on the show, what's going on in the world, in the news, with banking, with the stock market, with your money, with your health, with your marriage, with your kids, whatever. God rules the universe with his feet up. It's helpful to remember that. Okay, here we go. A little COVID action. In the U.S., 47% do not expect a return to pre-pandemic normalcy. Uh, I'm living in my best life pre-pandemic normalcy now. Three years into the COVID-19 pandemic in the U.S., relatively few Americans, 33%, say their lives are completely back to normal. Wow. And those who say their lives have not yet completely returned to normal are largely pessimistic about it ever happening. Mission accomplished there, Pope Fauci, at all. Nearly half of U.S. adults, 47%, think pre-pandemic normalcy is not attainable for them, but 20% think their lives will eventually get back to normal. It's people like me and most likely a person like you. These expectations have improved slightly since last summer, but they are essentially unchanged from Gallup's previous reading in October. That's sad to me. Half of Republicans say their lives are back to normal, and 18% say that their lives are not yet normal, but will be eventually. So you got about almost 70% of Republicans that are like, yeah, I'm getting on with my life. That leaves 33% of Republicans say their lives will never be back to normal. In contrast, 53% of Democrats believe their lives will never be back to normal. That's not a surprise. That's the Eeyore party. Independence expectations are closer to Democrats. Uh, okay, what do you do with that? Well, first of all, when I said mission accomplished, it was a great primer for a lot of things. The government attempted and largely successful government takeover of everyday life, what you wear, what you put on your face, what you inject into your system, where you go, how far you stand away from people, all of that draconian madness. And they just plain old stinking got away with it. Now we've got the uh, the House committee about the weaponization of government, and that's great. And there's more things going on in the, in the, in the House with respect to COVID and, and investigating these things. But uh, we've been down that road before. And uh, whereas with Trump, he's probably going to get indicted next week in New York. Uh, that's probably going to happen. Are they ever going to perp walk the guy? I don't know, but they're probably going to be a lot better at that than uh, we have been at perp walking people on the left. So they just completely changed society. And about half Americans are like, yeah, yeah, we're not going back to normal, uh, which makes this the new normal paranoia, fear, easily seceding your life over to government control, that kind of stuff. That's the new normal. And isn't that what they were after the whole time? Under the guise of 15 days to flatten the curve because we love you. And then 30 days to slow the spread because we still love you. But that's not really what it's about. The government is about loving its people. It's about controlling its people. And half of us, us being Americans, we're more than happy to go along with it for fear of sickness and death. And that, in the spiritual realm, is because they fear death because they do not have a relationship with Christ, which gives them a sound footing with their creator, all of which they know is real and true and a problem for them. So they fear death. Good job, Pope Fauci. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve, Steve Noble Show. 47% of Americans do not expect a return to pre-pandemic normalcy. That's what I say to that. That's so ridiculous. Uh, my answer is your life still affected by COVID. No, I'm I'm a hundred. I'm I'm 99% back to normal. In my case, I had to go see the um, family doctor recently, and they still make you go make you wear a mask just to get in there. So I really need to change and find another doctor. To be quite honest, I'm I'm just like really, really, really. But other than that, but 47% of Americans don't expect to return to pre-pandemic normalcy. And that's a big win. Uh, That's a big win for Fauci. That's a big win for the left. That's a big win for the entire Democratic Party. That's a big win for mainstream media. A really big win for the devil himself. And uh, great job. I'm going to give you guys your props. That was uh, really effective to just kind of have everybody just prepped and ready to go, primed up and and ready to be painted with the next emergency so that you can acquire even more control. Isn't that sad? That that's the thank you lord that I am free. Free. Free at last, free at last. Great God almighty, we are free at last as MLK said. But uh we're free in Christ. I I hope you're free in Christ cuz I'm free of all that garbage because of Christ. So thank you Lord. A little more on COVID. CDC bought phone data. Ah, that doesn't... Why am I even reading this article? This doesn't cause any concern for you, does it? CDC bought phone data to monitor Americans' compliance with lockdowns. Wow. Great. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention purchased data from tracking companies to monitor compliance with lockdowns, according to contracts with the firms. The CDC paid one four hundred twenty grand and another two hundred eight thousand, which bought them access to the location data from at least fifty five million cell phone users. Now, in the good old U.S. of A, three hundred seven million out of three hundred forty million have cell phone use. That's ninety percent. Ninety five percent of us between the ages of eighteen and forty nine. When you get a little older, apparently you get a little smarter. And a little less shackled, 61% of the people 65 and older have a cell phone. And, of course, uh, the numbers between, when, does, when are they getting cell phones now? Smartphones, 12, 8, 9, crazy. The contract's approved uh, under emergency review, of course, which gives them the right to do anything. We're aimed at providing the CDC, quote, with the necessary data to continue critical emergency response functions related to evaluating the impact of visits to key points of interest, stay-at-home orders, closures, reopenings, and other public health communications related to mask mandate and other merging research areas on commonly on community transmission, SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, it sounds like a science fiction movie setup. The CD said it would be using the tracking data to assess home by our behaviors. By exploring the percentage of mobile devices at home during specific periods of time, are you complying, good citizen? Under a heading labeled potential use cases for the data, the CDC said it could be used to try to connect the forced closures of bars and restaurants with COVID-19 infections and death rates. I would add in, you know, churches, concerts, grocery stores, things like that, especially you church people. The CDC early in the pandemic received the data for free from the firms, SafeGraph and Cubic, and then they paid later. Uh, There was something else in here that they got a bunch of data for free from uh, Google. Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, God bless you, sir. The top Republican on the Senate Subcommittee on Investigation expressed concern with the purchase. No kidding. Quote, it remains unclear why the CDC tracked millions of Americans during the pandemic and whether it continues to do so. In response 
to COVID-19, the CDC should have been prioritizing the development of treatments, effective testing, and vaccine safety rather than tracking Americans' daily lives. It's not unclear, sir, why they did this. You got it. They're tracking us, at least 55 million of us, because they want to see if you're complying. They probably said, make them all Republicans. Give us 55 million Republican cell phone numbers that we can track. Walensky said in a response that the data was the head of the CDC. It was, data was part of using the best science available to inform our understanding of the public health impacts of interventions and to inform recommendations. Ah, that's a bunch of hooey. They always, it's like, yes, a woman's right to choose. Hmm. Yes. No, no, it's, it's uh, murdering children in the womb. The CDC has also uh, utilized location tracking data from Google, but never paid for the data. Of course not. Why would Google charge their partner in crime anything? They wouldn't. <clears throat> and then this, as President Joe Biden weighs whether to sign a law passed unanimously by Congress to declassify U.S. intelligence on the origins of the COVID-19 virus, new evidence has emerged that the State Department and National Institutes of Health routed at least $1.7 million in tax dollars to Wuhan Virology Lab, despite evidence it was tied to the Chinese military. Well, why would that be a problem? This is Snarky Friday, by the way, in case you couldn't tell. The United States first declared in a 2005 State Department document that Communist China maintained an offensive biological weapons program, duh, in violation of its treaty commitments, Duh. And that it was run in part by the arm of the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, Academy of Military Medical Sciences, the AMMS. Right. Cue the James Bond music. A decade, a decade later, multiple medical publications emerged from China that linked the AMMS to research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the very lab that the FBI, the Energy Department, and other U.S. intelligence agencies believe was the source of a leak that started the COVID-19 pandemic. In the first place, it's also the same lab that received grants from a contractor working for Pope Fauci. Take a knee, everybody. <sighs> The ties between AMMS, that's the Biological Weapons Division, <laughs> the Chinese government, and the Wuhan lab sat in plain view for years before the pandemic started, federal documents show. Isn't it funny that with the good old Chinese spy balloon a few weeks back, that the balloon itself is about 200 feet wide, all the apparatus underneath it, the spy apparatus, was all, all the width of it was about three school buses uh, end to end. Uh, wh- what if they just you know, had a little, I don't know, pinata under that thing, and as it flew over you know, a good chunk of the United States... Uh, they just were releasing biological agents into the air. And we probably would have funded part of that, too, thanks to Pope Fauci, who needs to be behind bars. The sooner the better, thank you. One of the most troubling links cited in an unclassified report released in December by the House Intelligence Committee was a 2015 book in which China scientists tied to both AMMS, remember that's the Academy of Military Medical Sciences, think, Warfare And the Wuhan lab, declare, Wuhan lab declared that coronaviruses were the leading edge of a new era of genetic weapons warfare. No kidding. Quote, in 2015, the official publishing house of the AMMS released a book titled The Unnatural Origin of SARS and the New Species of Artificial Humanized Viruses as Genetic Weapons. That's what the committee reported. And, and, and Pope Fauci should be behind bars. And uh, some percentage of uh, Trump's administration and most, if not all, of Biden's administration. The central premise of the AMMS book is that SARS-CoV-2, the strain of coronavirus that caused the 2002 SARS outbreak, did not emerge naturally, but was a chimeric virus artificially engineered as a genetic weapon to infect humans. 
And Pope Fauci, the Christian guy over at the NIH, can't remember his name, and that whole crowd funded. They put millions of our dollars into gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab that's tied into the chemical warfare division of the Chinese military. Nothing to see there, folks. Go back to your coffee. We'll be right back. Oh, that's such a sweet sound. In a world gone wild. Isn't it? Welcome back. It's the Steve Noble Show. I hope you're doing well. God bless you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for being here. You're a blessing to me. I hope I'm a blessing to you. Remember that phrase, Academy of Military Medical Sciences, a division of the People's Liberation Army. Cue the 007 music, because that's all involved in the Wuhan lab, which Pope Fauci and some others uh, helped fund, and then they created uh, COVID-19, and then maybe it leaked but then again, maybe it was released. Remember that. <clears throat> but all those accounts will be settled. Praise the Lord. We talked about that a little yesterday on Theology Thursday uh, in James chapter 5, knowing that even when you're persecuted and you're beat up and you're destroyed by other people, uh, all those accounts will be settled. God is a God of justice. Ultimate justice will reign. And every crime against you that you've perpetrated against somebody else, uh, every crime by every person ever, every sin ever, it's all going to be dealt with. All accounts will be settled is the way I say it all the time. The only question, the only, the only question at hand is who pays? Who's going to pay the bill? Well, if you reject uh, Jesus's offer, then you'll pay it forever in hell. Or Jesus has paid it already, and he simply extends you the invitation to accept that gift. So if you're thinking... I got to get to church this Sunday. I got to make sure I'm pretty honest with my taxes. I got to do the right thing. I got to give a little money away here and there. I got to try to not drink as much, swear as much, smoke as much, whatever as much. Then you don't understand the gospel. Go to my website, thestevenobleshow.com. Click on the button at the top that says heaven. That will help you. Okay. I can't stand Rachel Levine. Lord, help this man. Let's just pray for him right now. Father God, I just come before you and, and lift up this Dr. Rachel Levine gentleman who has the uh, who works at the uh, Health um, Assistant Secretary for Health for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and dresses like a woman and calls himself a woman and presents himself as a woman. And he is clearly not, Lord. You, you made him a man. And for whatever reason, whatever's going on in his life, whatever kind of sickness he's dealing with or just messed up worldview, the evil that's infected his thinking, because you're either the child of God or you're a child of the devil, Lord, it, it's, he's just, he's just, there's a lot of things I want to say that he is, Father. You know what's in my heart and my head, and that's not great. Uh, but the one thing I know for sure is that he's made in your image and you love him and you died for him. And this is not what you want for his life. So we pray for uh, Mr. Levine, that he would have an encounter with you that would help him turn away from the insanity of his life and find help and hope and healing in you. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Dr. Rachel Levine, the transgender assistant secretary, blah, 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 saluted gender affirming care. This shows you just how uh, uh, much he is a chew toy or a puppet for Satan himself. 
saying that in the near future, such practices will be normalized, gender-affirming care. Levine, who stated on the Connecticut Children's Grand Rounds podcast that, quote, gender-affirming care had the, quote, highest support of the Biden administration, judgment slammed the harsh criticism of medical professionals. (laughs) Levine, who's obviously a hot mess, uh, slammed the harsh criticism of medical professionals who advocate for gender-affirming care, which can include such radical practices as removing genitals. Quote, I think that these attacks are ideologically and politically motivated, Levine charged, ignoring the profound concern expressed by many people that, su- that such care damages children. Quote, I think they're being done for primarily political purposes throughout the country. Right. We're trying to protect children from being mutilated, abused, turned into uh, chew toys for the devil himself by people like you, Mr. Levine. And, and you think that's for political purposes. Uh, wrong, sir. It's to the glory of God based on the word of God and the truth of God. And please, sir, repent. Levine claimed that support for gender-affirming care would, be, would blossom. But woe to those who call good evil and evil good, right? Declaring, I'm a positive and optimistic person. No, you're a deeply troubled person. And I choose to be positive and optimistic. And I think that the wheel will turn on this. And I think it is not going to be politically advantageous. It wasn't particularly in 2022. And so I think that uh, as we look to all the different elections in 2024, I think the next two years are going to be challenging. But I am positive and optimistic and hopeful that the wheel will turn after that and that this issue won't be politically and socially such a minefield. Levine attacks states that have passed laws restricting abortion or gender-affirming care, snapping, you live in a state in Connecticut where it is unlikely that those regressive, negative, and discriminatory laws will pass and be implemented. Th- there you go, friend. That, that All that is right there, right there, right there, out of this man's mouth, is Scripture. Woe to those who call evil and evil good. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. They suppress the truth. They replace it with a lie. God gives them over to all kinds of debased things, debauchery, and a reprobate mind. That is a mind that is completely unable to think according to the logic and goodness and decency and sensibility of God's word and truth. That's a reprobate mind. So a reprobate mind says and does exactly what Dr. Levine says and does. Boom. Thank you, Lord, for scripture is always right. Always right. Which takes me to this. Woke. Saying woke is bad for the left's brand. So that's why we're going to say woke a lot. Woke, 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 woke. You're so woke. All the woke ideology. Woke imbeciles, sadly. God help them. Woke effectively describes the left's insanity, and that's why they hate when you say it. By Samuel Mangold Lennett in uh, The Federalist. Wokeism is intentionally ambiguous, so when you describe it, that offends those who wish for its intentions to remain murky. What a great point. So in this article in, this, in the uh, Federalist, they're kind of talking about white supremacy and racism, and now it's, that's been so overused that most people just kind of write that off. So now Wokes kind of uh, batter up on that one. Uh, to, and now in this article, he's inquiring about the nature of the term woke. The term started to increase in prevalence in the early to mid-2010s, back when Black Lives Matter referred to a hashtag, not an organization, and when the hot-button social issues du jour was the legalization of homosexual marriage, in air quotes. Despite its original meaning, used in common parlance simply to refer to personal vigilance, woke quickly took on social and political meanings. Like how every other community uses specific language to signify in-group allegiance, woke 
was used to inculcate oneself among the broader cause of the burgeoning leftist cultural homogeny and, by extension, the Democrat Party. But as the term became more and more associated with the party, it became less specifically concerned with racial protest movements and more so a shibboleth for supporting the party platform, Stay Woke, the slogan went. It is undeniable that wokeism and the people who get protective of the identifying label woke have an influential presence on the political and cultural left, that is for sure. There was even a short-lived Hulu series titled Woke that chronicled a previously apolitical black cartoonist journey through the intersectional landscape of identity politics. And in 2018, Saturday Night Live poked fun at the concept of corporate fashion brands using wokeism to market schlock to well-intentioned hipsters. Wokeism came to define a movement so insurgent among the institutionalized powers of the left that even its vanguards like former President Barack Obama and Representative Hakeem Jeffries, who undeniably had a role ushering it in, bemoaned its rancorous presence and how it distracts from the Democrat Party's larger goals. That was something the Democrats fully embraced until they could no longer fully control the semantics around it. And then in this section of the article, it's a good, bad word. Wokeism is simultaneously a persistent ideological framework and a general inclination. It depends on the person or institution in question at the time. But both rely upon a consistent smorgasbord of, of, of uh, Marxian dialects and ideological accoutrement, gender theory, critical race theory, etc., that seeks to usurp the ideals of the American founding and impose contemporary whims. Using woke as a catch-all label for radical leftism is effective. That's one of the major reasons why the left hates it. They lost complete control of the English language, and the word they use to indicate their radicalism to one another is being used to expose that radicalism to the rest of the world. Wokeism is an intentionally ambiguous framework that is meant to keep out interlopers and reward its advocates. Therefore, simply describing it as what it is is anathema to those who wish for its intentions to remain ambiguous. Simply saying woke works. Now it becomes like a slur. Now I, as a Christian, I'm going to be careful. I have to be careful. Like, am I speaking words of life or am I speaking words of death to people? Am I Ephesians 5, 28? Don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Only what is good for building others up according to their needs. So when I, Tell somebody in an argument, face-to-face, over a phone call, text, social media, whatever. You're so woke. I really have to check my heart there because I know me. And and most of the time, I feel like picking something up and throwing it at people. I'm not going to do that physically, but I can definitely do that verbally. And with my word choices and the things I choose to say, which takes me to 1 Corinthians 13. And if I'm not speaking with love... I'm just making noise that's not pleasing to my Lord and Savior. And that has to matter. That should matter to all of us. This is Steve Noble. We'll be right back. And now, today's Pathway Minute with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Throughout the book of Proverbs, you find all kind of warnings against pride. Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Or Proverbs 29, verse 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. If there's one theme you find throughout these verses, it's simply this. Pride is a prerequisite to failure in life. Humility is a prerequisite for success. Somebody has said pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. 
Pathway Minute is produced by Pathway to Victory. To access the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress, go to ptv.org. Hey, Josh, could you top off my uh, green beer for me, please? Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. <laughs> Just a little St. Patrick's Day humor there for you. Relax, everybody. Not a drinker. Used to be. Long time ago, not anymore. Now I smell beer. I'm like, what? why would anybody drink beer? It smells like a bad body odor. It smells like somebody's armpit. Ugh. Gross. And I remember the last time I drank a beer, which literally is decades ago, that I'm like, my mouth immediately went dry like somebody stuffed a sheep in my mouth. I'm like, what? what's the point of drinking this stuff? So gross. All right, St. Patrick, besides all the drinking that's going on right now, which is what, this is what lost, messed up human beings do with good things. And they don't, they don't, nobody wants to really talk about the true story of St. Patrick, but I will. Uh, this is a really good. They handled this really well in the Daily Wire. Good job, Ben Shapiro's organization. The story of St. Patrick. Born in Roman Britain sometime during the 4th or 5th century A.D. Estimates vary. Patrick, also known as Maywin Suckett, S-U-C-C-A-T, Suckat? I don't know how you say that, was kidnapped and brought to Ireland after his village was sacked by Irish raiders when he was just 16. Quote, this is actually from him, okay, because he wrote this stuff down. My name is Patrick. I am a sinner a simple country person, and the least of all believers. I am looked down upon by many. My father was Calpornius. He was a deacon. His father was Potitus, a priest, who lived in Banavin, Tabernay. His home was near there, and that is where I was taken prisoner, Patrick wrote about his early life and his confessions of St. Patrick. Although his family was deeply Christian, Patrick said that he, quote, knew not the true God, unquote, prior to his captivity. In Ireland, that's the, isn't that the interesting thing? I, I mean, I, I thought I was a Christian. And then I became a Christian. And then I realized I had never been a Christian. Can I, can I get an amen from anybody on that? I thought I was a Christian. I assumed I was a Christian. But once I actually became a Christian, understood the gospel, gave my life to Christ, understood that I could bring nothing to the table. That was all a gift. It was all based on what Jesus had done. Nothing I could do. And then I was like, wow, here I am at 28. <laughs> I've never been a Christian. So that's Patrick looking back. Can I get an amen if that's you? And you're a Christian now, praise God. In Ireland, Patrick was sold into slavery and ended up as a shepherd, according to tradition. How ironic. It was during his six years as a shepherd and farmhand that Patrick's indifference to Christianity melted away. And as we were talking about on Theology Thursday yesterday, uh, it's in the valley where you find your sustenance. Mountaintops have a great view, but nothing grows up there, which would include you and me. Quote, but in that strange land, the Lord opened my unbelieving eyes. And although late, I called my sins to mind and was converted with my whole heart to the Lord, my God, who regarded my low estate, had pity on my youth and ignorance and consoled me as a father consoles his children. Boy, that's beautiful. Every day I used to look after sheep and I used to pray often during the day. The love of God and a holy fear of him increased more and more in me, Patrick said of his conversion. He added that he would pray up to 100 times a day while out watching the sheep. Patrick believed that this time of spiritual devotion was preparing him for a deeper purpose. Quote, as I now realize, it was because the spirit was maturing and preparing me for a work yet to come, he explained. One night during his captivity, Patrick said he had a dream 
and that God was telling him to run away and go back to his village, which was located in modern-day Scotland. Quote, you have fasted well. Very soon you will return to your native country, he said an angel told him. After trekking 200 miles to the coast, he was able to catch a British ship and begin a lengthy journey back to his village. Following years back at his homeland, Patrick had another life-changing dream. In this dream, which he compared to a vision like the Apostle Paul's at Troas, Patrick's words, not mine, Patrick said he saw an Irishman asking him to come back to the Emerald Isle. Quote, we appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us, Patrick recounted uh, an Irishman asking him during a dream. Patrick would return to Ireland with a mission of spreading Christianity, even though he knew he would face opposition because of the pagan customs entrenched in Irish culture. He was so committed to spreading the gospel of Jesus that he was willing to die if necessary. Quote, For daily I expect to be murdered or betrayed or reduced to slavery if the occasion arises. But I fear nothing because of the promises of heaven. For I have cast myself into the hands of Almighty God who reigns everywhere. Patrick wrote in his reflections. Wow! That's so powerful. Many in Ireland, including King Logair, I think, converted to Christianity because of Patrick's efforts. The king's conversion came after a face-off between the Christian and a group of Druids, according to the Dictionary of Irish Biography. Thanks to the success of his evangelism, Patrick became known as the Apostle of Ireland. W.D. Killen, a church historian, wrote, quote, There can be no reasonable doubt that Patrick preached the gospel, that he was a most zealous and efficient evangelist, and that he is entitled to be called the Apostle of Ireland, unquote. Patrick's influence on Ireland is widespread, and according to Thomas Cahill, author of the best-selling book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, Patrick likely helped bring human sacrifices on the island to an end. Cahill credits the Irish with keeping Western civilization afloat, thanks to the monasteries that sprung up on, an, on the island after Patrick spread Christianity throughout. These monasteries preserved the classic tradition after the Western Roman Empire fell, and the manuscripts preserved by the monks were later used to reinvigorate European civilization. And that, Cahill wrote, is how the Irish saved civilization. I, I don't have a major argument with that. In 1631, over a thousand years after Patrick lived, the church recognized March 17th as a feast day to honor the patron saint of Ireland. Since that time, the holiday has evolved with various celebrations across the world and especially among traditional Irish communities. As the celebrations continued, many legends and stories have been added about Patrick's influence on Ireland and the deeds that took place during his life. But what is incontrovertibly true is that he brought Christianity to a place where it had not flourished before. And that is certainly something to remember on this St. Patrick's Day. Wow. That's on the Daily Wire, by the way. What an excellent article, the story of St. Patrick, which let's bring it back down from the land of sainthood to little earthly baby Christian plebeians like you and me. Uh, I don't expect to do what St. Patrick did, but if the Lord wanted me to and, and gave me the ability to, I, I could. And the amazing thing about that is so could you. Because it's never been about what you can do. It's always been about what God can do through you. That was true of St. Patrick. Slave boy. Had no interest, much interest in God at all, even though he grew up in the church. I can relate to that. But then he throws himself into the good graces of God and just makes himself available. He puts his yes on the table. And history is made. 
But that's not the bar. St. Patrick's life is not the bar for yours or mine. The bar for your life and the bar for my, my life, and, and the similarity there is it's about faithfulness. So with the opportunities and the callings that God placed in St. Patrick's life, Patrick was faithful. And then God did the big, heavy lifting. God did the converting. God did the spreading of the gospel. He used Patrick. But God did all the work. God enabled the whole thing. So the question isn't, hey, what's your Ireland? What's your Ireland, bro? What's your Ireland, sis? What is it? Is it is it North Carolina? Is it South Carolina? Is it up there in Utah? Is it over there in Virginia? Or where you're listening online or grab the podcast? Is, is that your island? The whole state? Maybe, maybe, okay, chill out. Maybe it's just your city. Well, maybe that's a little too big. Maybe it's just your zip code. Well, maybe that's too big. That Ireland's too big for you. Uh, maybe it's your neighborhood. And if that seems too big, and it might not, but if, if it does, maybe it's your street. And if that seems too big, maybe it's your Jerusalem, it's your house, it's your family. And so the question is, in your Ireland, in my Ireland, are we good stewards of what God has called us to do and enabled us to do? And like Patrick, do we care about the souls of lost men and women around us? Right? That, that's it. We say we do. We say we care. I say I care about the lost. But how often do I exit my comfort zone, the Steve Noble comfort zone, the Steve Noble safe zone, and put my pride on the line, rejection on the line, ridicule on the line, and just open my mouth and maybe like my buddy Thomas from Africa, just say, uh, to you, who is Jesus? To you, who is Jesus? And that guy's in gospel conversations literally every day. And you know what I can say about Thomas versus myself? He clearly loves people more than I do. He does. Because he's willing to live in the tension of that moment. He loves the Lord, number one. And he loves people and he wants to see people come into the faith. So when we never share the gospel, when we don't bother. Now there's, when we look at the Great Commission, go and make disciples. But a disciple has to go through conversion first. And then you make disciples. You teach, you lead, you admonish. I do a lot of that. But I need to do a lot more of just sharing the gospel like St. Patrick did. So that's the question I'll leave you with and leave me with as I look in a mirror. Where's your Ireland? Is your Ireland being affected by your faith? You just ask the Lord, what's my Ireland, Lord? What's my Ireland? Maybe it's the workplace. Maybe it's your uh, little play group. Maybe it's the folks you see at the coffee shop you go to every day. I don't know what it is. You, you probably know what it is. So are you attempting to be a St. Patrick to your Ireland? We all need to do more than that. And then maybe the news cycle might get a little bit better. Wouldn't that be awesome? This is Steve Noble and the Steve Noble Show. I do hope you have a wonderful St. Patrick's Day. And God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward. Another program powered by the Truth Network.